woke up this morning and I'm still black. Now, I know this episode was supposed to be focused on voting, and I'll get to that in the next episode. But man, 2020 keeps coming at us in a number of different ways. These past few weeks, whether it's been in Kenosha, Wisconsin, or finding out about Rochester, New York, or being in Hollywood with Chadwick Boseman, Georgetown, with one of my favorite coaches, Big John Thompson. A number of things have happened these past weeks to give me pause and make me think about what's going on in America. Now, first and foremost, I think about all the things that have been happening with the protest. I mean, we're, we're still walking these streets, protesting police brutality, social inequality, systemic racism. But the question is, what's really happening? What has really changed? I mean, we're seeing unity out in the streets. People are coming together to stand up against hate and bigotry and injustice. When you turn on the TV, you still see the same things happening to black men again and again and again. I mean, I'm so sick of seeing this stuff. With what's been going on seeing another unarmed black man shot, I mean, enough is enough. We had Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Rashard Brooks killed right in front of us. A cop with his knee on George Floyd's neck. And now a video surfaces of another brother, Daniel Prude, in Rochester who had a similar run-in with police. Another video of a black man being treated poorly by police. Now, as always, you're going to have some people out there saying, oh, well, hey, if he had just obeyed police commands, these incidents would have never happened. But in the case of Daniel Prude, his family called police because they said he was exhibiting signs of a mental health crisis. So they were told he was mentally in distress. I think we should all be able to agree that the outcome of not listening to police orders should not be death. Being arrested, detained, fined, yes. But death? No. Especially when we're talking about an individual that is unarmed. I know the investigations are still going on, but in my opinion, in the Kenosha situation, there were a few different occasions where they could have taken him down and did not need to use lethal force. Now, again, that's in my opinion. There were two officers, guns drawn, and as he was making his way back to his car, if you thought he was going for a weapon, you could have prevented him from getting anywhere near his car without shooting him. Now, what is so disheartening is that in his vehicle were his three sons, and they were sitting in the car and were witness to their father being shot in the back seven times. But instead of getting to him before he moved to the vehicle, they did not, and the result was another unarmed black man being shot. What infuriates those that continue to fight for equality, who fight against police brutality, systemic racism, and who fight for social justice, is the fact that an unarmed black man is shot in the back, but a white man that shot three people and killed two of those people was not even detained on the night of the incident. There is actually a video of a man pointing out Kyle Rittenhouse and letting the authorities know 
that he was the very guy who shot the people who lay in the street that they were going to actually see about. So you would think that they would at least detain him. No, he just walked down the street with his AR-15 draped over his shoulder and he was free to leave, go home and sleep in his own bed. He said he was in Kenosha to help protect the buildings. An armed militia came into town with military weapons to keep the peace. I mean, there's another clip of an officer offering him water and says he appreciates what you guys are doing out there, which I can only assume he means the militia and the fact that they're standing against the protest. The police are in charge of keeping the peace. When you add in civilians who are ill-equipped to handle volatile situations, this is exactly what happens. So to see another situation where an unarmed black man was shot, that's extremely disheartening. And the Rochester situation is one where, again, we are still waiting for all the details, but the video that is out there is quite disturbing. And it just seems, with all the conversations and all the protests, that we should be talking about ways that we can go about improving policing. I mean, it just doesn't seem like it's resonating. There's a lot of marching, a lot of protest, a lot of destruction, and a lot of noise. But it doesn't seem like we're getting to a point where we're actually sitting down and laying out our plan for change and executing it. And I know that there are a ton of people out there who feel the same way. I mean, whether you're white, black, brown, whoever. You see this footage, and what do you see? I mean, be honest. What do you really see? When you think about what's going on, and you see that this individual could have been taken down in a number of different ways. But again, it seems that the current police protocol, thought process, is to stop that person at any cost. And in most cases, if you're black, unfortunately, it could be at the cost of your life. I mean, I don't even know what to say in regards to these situations. It's just a scene that we have seen so many times that the level of frustration has reached a ridiculously high level. But the questions are still, why are these people still out marching and protesting? Why are they so frustrated and so angry? Because we keep seeing the same stuff. I mean, enough is enough. And as I said before, I'm not for the destruction of communities burning down buildings, violence and looting. I'm not for any of that nonsense. What I am for is protesting, using our voices, coming together as a collective, focusing on what we can do to actually make change truly happen, not destroy an area just to say, hey, we're angry, so we want to destroy and break some stuff. We're clearly seeing that when those that want to destroy and choose to tear down rather than build take the peaceful protest in that direction, those who want to say that the protests are out of hand and are accomplishing little more than giving people a reason to break something are winning. Now it's no longer a protest. They're labeling it a riot. The negative media attention that we're getting is ridiculous. 
I mean, that's not doing anything for the movement. That's not doing anything for us. The only thing it's doing is giving people a reason to say that these people are out of control. They're animals. Again, the same exact connotations and thoughts that they've used for years are all coming back to address the same situation of marching and protesting and trying to exact change. Man, I mean, we're on the verge of something great. I know this could be something huge, but we have got to think about how we keep this train on the tracks and how we work together in a positive manner. Black Lives Matter. And I'm not talking about the organization. I'm just saying Black Lives Matter. And clearly we're still fighting to make that resonate with everybody. After the Jacob Blake shooting, one of the things that I thought was absolutely amazing was the fact that you had the Milwaukee Bucks decide that they were going to boycott their playoff game. And after it came out that they were going to take a stand, you had a number of other teams also decide that they were going to join in and add their voice to the cause and stand up alongside the Milwaukee Bucks in protest. We saw nine NBA playoff games canceled, six WNBA games, four NHL playoff games, 11 Major League Baseball games, five Major League Soccer games, and nine NFL practices. These athletes are standing together to make a change and say that enough is enough. They understand that they have an immense amount of power. Now, just think about the NBA and the playoffs and all of the networks that paid to televise these games and for them to stand up and say, for them being the players to stand up and say, we are not going to play. They made people stand up and take notice. And by sitting down and not playing, they took a stand. The NFL kicked off their season. And as they try to continue to work to do a better job of addressing social injustice issues that we continue to face, they played both the Star Spangled Banner and what to some is considered the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice. After the playing of both songs, the Chiefs and Texans joined together and locked arms in the middle of the field for a moment of unity as they locked arms on the Jumbotron, they posted, We support equality. We must end racism. We believe in justice for all. We must end police brutality. We choose unconditional love. We believe black lives matter. And it takes all of us. While this was an amazing show of unity, I will say I hope that people would cheer. But in reality, I wasn't surprised that some booed. This shows that even when it does not have to do with the flag, that when it has to do with change, addressing the ugly side of history, acknowledging that there is in fact a problem that some people don't want to either deal with these issues, believe these issues exist, or just want to keep the same old, the same old. This further highlights a sentiment that Chris Weber shared the night of the NBA protest. He spoke about the issues that we are all facing. And if you didn't get a chance to hear his speech, go online and listen to it. I mean, I think he encapsulated how a lot of us are feeling right now. It was just a simple but eloquent speech where he spoke from the heart and spoke about how he felt and how 
we as a people unfortunately still feel. The fact that these incidents continue to happen and the pace at which they continue to happen is amazing. Now, I understand that every single time a black man is shot, it's not an unjustified shooting. But there have been enough that your first thought now is to question the legitimacy of any black man involved shooting. We have to continue to do our due diligence and find out what's truly going on with all of these encounters that black and brown people have with police officers. If we don't, we will continue to have these issues continue to arise and we will continue to be frustrated. I'm tired of being tired. I want change. I heard this the other day and it made me think. Martin Luther King Jr. never marched at night. Let that sit with you for a second. Last week, we also lost a cultural icon, Chadwick Boseman. And I'll say, I mean, look, my name is Chad. His name is Chad. Definitely not a lot of brothers out there with the name Chad. So I felt a kinship with Chadwick Boseman. I mean, I was proud to see another Chad out there doing his thing and to see that he embodied so many of our icons and his ability to adapt to different individuals and tell their story was fantastic. I mean, when you think about the fact that he played James Brown, Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall, I mean, different individuals, but all black icons. The fact that he played the Black Panther, the first black Marvel superhero, a movie that generated over $1.3 billion worldwide. That total is the most any solo superhero movie has ever made. Let that sink in for a minute. I mean, the cast in that movie was predominantly black. The naysayer said that a movie that was definitely a black movie couldn't do numbers. Well, it did numbers, and then some, and it shattered the box office. The power of the black dollar was on full display. Now, it wasn't only the black dollar, and that's the beauty of what he brought to the silver screen. So many other people were inspired and wanted to see just how he brought that character to life. When that movie came out, I will tell you the beauty of that movie and the beauty of the character was that it crossed over. I mean, you had little white kids who were wearing the Black Panther costume. Little white kids wanted to be the Black Panther. All they saw was this amazing character that they wanted to be. The innocence of children. So when you think about the fact that our culture, our style, our swag has been something that everybody out there loves and loves to grab a part of. But if they only loved all of those pieces as much as they love black people, I think we would see a major change. So when you think about Chadwick Boseman, this is an individual whose career only lasted a short amount of time. But as I mentioned, the movies he was a part of were diverse and amazing movies. Chadwick Boseman was a light that burned so bright for such a very short amount of time. It's upsetting to so many because of the fact that we thought and we saw within him greatness. 
and we wanted to see more. And unfortunately, which is the case sometimes, some people aren't with us as long as we would like them to be. But that time is the time that they were supposed to be here. Not a minute more and not a minute less. You think about Chadwick Boseman and the fact that the brother was only 43 when he died. Still exceptionally young. Still at the beginning of his career. But you know what the Bible says. Life is but a vapor that appeareth for a while and then vanishes away. Unfortunately, the light he emitted and we were able to see for a short amount of time has been extinguished. We can continue to appreciate who he was and the inspiration that he provided our community. Definitely a major loss and one that when I heard about, like a lot of you out there, I was completely shocked. I mean, I didn't even know he was sick. So my condolences to his family and friends, and may he rest in peace. Now, if you grew up in the Northeast and you were a fan of basketball, man, there was no better ball played than in the Big East. And if you knew anything about the Big East, then you damn sure knew Georgetown. And you knew Big John Thompson, a coach that was bigger than life. If you grew up and hooped and you had a chance to play college basketball, I know during the late 80s and 90s, if you could go anywhere, Georgetown was on top of the list. Now, when I was growing up on the back end of the Patrick Ewing era, seeing Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, and then the answer to any and all questions on the court, Allen Iverson play at Georgetown, I mean, it was just amazing to see. First and foremost, a black head coach do what John Thompson had done. The first black coach to take a men's basketball team to the NCAA championships and win. But if I said that he was just a coach, that would definitely do a disservice to who John Thompson was. When John Thompson walked off the court before a game versus Boston College in January of 1989, it was to protest the NCAA. The NCAA voted to deny scholarships to freshmen who failed to qualify for athletic eligibility under the academic standards of Proposition 48. John knew that the group that would be most negatively impacted would be minority athletes. So when you think about John Thompson, he himself was a leader of civil rights, a leader at a time when it wasn't popular to be. He stood up for his players and even more so for the community. So yes, you had an amazing coach who coached some phenomenal basketball players and won at the highest level, but you had more than that. You had an amazing person who stood up for what was right, tried to do what was right, and with that in mind, tried to deliver for his players and his community. He meant so much to me in my youth. Seeing this man on TV, someone who looked like me, who I respected, roaming up and down the sidelines and lead his team to victory. But also, from what his players said, he was a father figure, someone who helped them grow on and off the court. He was so much more than just basketball. I want to take this time to offer my condolences to the Thompson family, another icon that we've lost in the black community.
as I bring this episode to a close, and we are now in September, and as a fellow New Yorker, I'm reminded about the tragedy of 9-11. I want to offer my condolences to all those families that are still dealing with the pain of that loss. We will never forget. I woke up this morning, and I'm still black. <laughs>